So, Jacob Durden, tell me about how you are, you have already written a screenplay and have submitted it to um, contests or to explain that to me. Uh, I, I, I mean, I've, ri- I've written a bunch of screenplays. I mean, nobody cares about them. Nobody cares about someone's unpretty screenplay. But I wrote... Um, but I did write. I did write one that submitted to. Um, so the Oscars have, have a screenwriting competition, and um, I submitted my script to that, and it uh, it got semifinals. At Nichols, Are you serious? Which was which was the thing that uh, I was very lucky. I, it was the thing that um, most screenwriting competitions don't matter, right? But there's like two that do, and I got really lucky because this is like the like the big one. And so the semifinals getting semifinals at Nichols gave me, um, like got me some emails and some, some calls and it was great. I got to take some meetings. I got to go to LA, uh, take some meetings, um, for it, which was cool. And, um, yeah. So that was, yeah, that was fun. Well, and so do you have a co-writer for that or uh, did you I don't. do that on uh, your own? Yeah, that was, yeah. I don't have a co-writer. I think I'm, uh, just too difficult to work with. <laughs> I don't. I. I know I need to. I should change. Well, what is your? So, can I ask what the plot is? What the <clears throat> story is about? The script is called Freddie Prince Jr., and it's about my fictionalized version of the actor Freddie Prince Jr. and his real-life wife Sarah Michelle Geller and their marital problems. Is he really married to Sarah Michelle Gellar? Yeah, yes, he is. And it's a story about that. And is it a drama or a comedy? It's a, uh, it's a dramedy. So I mean, like, but by the modern definition, we'd call it a comedy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I say dramedy because there's like pure comedy, and then there's comedy with dramatic stakes. And right. I, and so this is one of those. But and so, how long were you working on that? When did you come up with that idea? Uh, I came up with that one college at uh, film school, and <clears throat> I just like the idea of a of a former star of romantic comedies yeah, being in a, a yeah being in a not so romantic comedy marriage fifteen years along and like making very um, unromantic comedy mistakes, um, very unidealized. The idea of like the star of the idealized romance being in a less than idealized romance, um, the real world thing, and being kind of a douchebag and making poor choices and uh, trying to get his life back and uh, reboot his career and stuff. Anyway, so that's that's what it's about. I think that's an excellent idea. Um, And so your other ones, what made you decide to send in that one rather than the other ones you've written? That was the one um, that was furthest along. It's also the one I cared about the most. I like connected with it a lot. It was like my own way to like... To be honest, it like came from a place of trying to process my parents' divorce like early on. Oh, um, really? Like back in the day, you know, when I initially had the idea, it was I only know how to process like real life uh, <laughs> trauma through film and television. It's the only way. I, yeah. The only way I can connect with myself. Well, it, it's through another layer of like you said media to me materials. earlier. You said, uh, "What is it? Films manipulate. They are emotionally manipulative. It's so true. Emotionally manipulative. Son of right." Um, no, yeah, I, the, but other stuff, <clears throat> yeah, so that's the one, it was, I spent the most time developing that, you know, a bunch of drafts, uh, and so it wasn't until 
because you know i've got other stuff i've got drafts of other stuff it's just nothing that's in good shape i've got three things of the scripts of only three scripts that i have that like are in showable shape you know to like pass around and so with that one with freddie prince jr um how did you know where to send it oh it's just it's just like um and they must get thousands yeah, Nichols gets, I think, around like 8,000 submissions or whatever a year. And I submitted it to there and to the Austin Film Festival. Those are the two. Because those are uh, just known to be like the two bigger ones. Um, and I guess it got second round at Austin, at the Austin Film Festival. And then um, uh, some of my finals at Nichols. But the Nichols thing was, that was the one that helped open a couple doors and gave me the uh, that contact with um, that uh, person now who's... Um, uh, at CAA who's helping to push out this the new script uh, that it, that I wrote that we went out with at the beginning of this week is that Freddie Prince Jr or no this is a, a different, different one. it's a new one Freddie Prince Jr one honestly it was <laughs> it's a writing example it'd be hard to produce because uh, it would have to be Freddie Prince Jr Sarah Michelle Geller have to bring those guys Joss back. Whedon and Rick Astley who are all <laughs> featured prominently in the script uh, would all have to be like I'd love to make this so that that's not gonna happen but um <laughs> But but I really wanted to tell the story. Um, and um, what's this new one? It's called uh, <laughs> David's Brook. It's um, okay. which is sort of like an allusion to Dawson's Creek. Um, it's I got it <laughs> the idea from a dream. Dawson's like, Creek. David's yeah, like Brook. Yeah, I I'm so, how subtle am I? I'm so no, subtle. Um, no, like six months ago, I had this like weird dream and like woke up. It started. Uh, I feel like I feel like I, get, I feel like Stephen King now. Stephen King talks about how he gets like all his like ideas from dreams, um, and I always thought that was so cheap. I'm like, oh, he's lying, and I'm like, dude, no, my dreams are so much better than me. Like, I, it's funny. The, Did you get this from your dreams? Yeah, I woke up. Um, <laughs> that that uh, mind me, that doesn't mean it's good. It just means uh, I feel like my <laughs> subconscious can generate uh, can generate junk that I think is way more inventive than my conscious mind. Right, um, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my conscious mind is super derivative. Um, so, but no, yeah, I w- this dream where I was like, <laughs> where I imagined like the cast of Dawson's Creek, like the three principal characters, like getting invited by, um, I re- my dream was like a part of this. And then I started writing down at like three in the morning on my phone, like everything that was coming to me about the idea for this. And it was, and it was like the idea of like this, uh, this tech billionaire, she, um, she's a hardcore fan of this nostalgia nineties TV, like teen drama all her life um but you know grows up becomes a tech billionaire big deal um buys the neighborhood uh where they shot her favorite tv show and offers like 10 million dollars a piece to the three stars of the show to come back join her in the neighborhood and shoot a reunion episode um of david's brook and stuff gets weird so is that also a dramedy it's a it's this one's like a comedy thriller oh really it'd be i don't know like a la game night or something that's cool. Clue, stuff and like so that. it's funny that you dreamed about Dawson's Creek or a derivative of it. I do like Dawson's Creek. But when was the last time you saw Dawson's Creek? Were you a Dawson's Creek fan? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I'm a grown man. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean I obviously like... it's been it's been years. No, it was like six months ago. <laughs> well, um, I feel like that was always on. Like it was oh, always yeah. on. It was on TBS a bunch. Yeah, always on TBS. Uh, I know because, dude, I would, I leg- I legitimately remember being late to the bus most days or whatever. 
because I would have to set up my dad's VCR in my parents' bedroom because like they would play, TBS would play like two back-to-back episodes of Dawson's Creek like at eight o'clock in the morning or something. And I had to set it up to record, you know, put in the VHS so I could come home and then watch That's the next cool. two episodes. You were more mature than me because I felt like Dawson's Creek, I was like, this is for like bigger boys and girls. Yeah, yeah, Kevin, I'm not sure that means I'm more mature because I liked Dawson's Creek. Yeah. I think most people would... Um, Maybe would suggest the opposite that this is no yeah and no, i it's not that's the thing this isn't like high art but man i i love my dawson's creek i do i just connected with james vanderbeek where did yeah he loved say, the movies character he loved movies going? where did they end up going did they go so like dude elsewhere? he loved he wanted to go to wait like the it, james vanderbeek like, yeah are, the uh, actors it, and stuff oh the actors i mean they go um uh, james vanderbeek you know hasn't had maybe as much success since Dawson starring, you know, is the male lead in Dawson's Creek, but, um, but his co-stars, you know, everyone's gone on to do work, you know, it's like Katie Holmes has continued to, you know, do oh, nice yeah. work. And she was in, uh, Dawson's Creek. Yeah, she was, she was. She, um, and, uh, uh, Michelle Williams has done really well. Um, she's, you know, Oscar, Oscar caliber stuff now. Well, who's, um, who's the main guy, Vanderbeek? James Vanderbeek. Yeah. I think, have you ever seen Studio Ghibli films? Oh. Heck yeah, man. Big yeah, fan. They're, they're amazing. Beautiful. And I think the English version in Castle in the Sky, Oh, I think James Vanderbeek does the voice. He does a voice of uh, one of the, because I know that I like definitely be Christian wrong. Bale does one in there too, right? He does in one of those. Howls. But Howl's movie he does Castle. Howl's. Oh, oh, gotcha. Castle in the Sky. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, can't be mixing up my, my Castle of Ghiblis. Well, that's, that's a fun phrase I've just invented. That was a good um, phrase. TM. Um, the yeah, yeah. Let's see. Look at that. Let me check James that out. James be voicing let, stuff. Let me check that out right here. <laughs> no, dude, I believe you. I don't believe you're myself. lying. You're lying about James. James Vanderbeek, dude. If that is your real name, <laughs> sounds like a phony name. Would you keep your name if you become a screenwriter and a Hollywood name? Mm. Would you keep it Jacob Durden? I keep. I usually write Jake Durden or Jake Durden. I guess I do. Um, yeah. Nothing wrong with that, Jake. It's uh, this is you're getting riveting stuff from me, Kevin. This is uh, <laughs> listenership is just on pins and needles. How it is, but what well, else I am I going right. to say about? I was right, James Vanderbeek. What nickname I prefer when I when I when I write my title page for the script? James Vanderbeek. Okay. So you matters. were right. That's fine. We just put the whole podcast on hold to serve your ego <laughs> and confirm that you were right. That's right, Kevin. You win. I think that that You're was James better. Vanderbeek's best, <laughs> his best role. Pro- his best work. Yeah. I love it. Better than Dawson's even. I mean, I don't know if you've seen that, his crying gif um, from Dawson's Creek, but that's... I have seen that. And yeah. you're going to tell me that that, that that work is... Like yeah, inferior. That's a to, good point. No, come on, don't be. Don't that's be a good point. Well, what? Tell me some of your favorite movies. The most influential to you. That's very difficult to do. But if you had a gun, gun to your head. No. Yeah. This guy was serious with this gun. <laughs> and he said, "You don't have to list ten. Just list however you, however many you feel." The okay. The one. The, there's those. The ones I like to say to sound smart to people. 
Um, yeah, list those. Which I also <laughs> love. There's the uh, then I'll say then I'll say ones um, that reveal my true um, stupid essence. Um, there's uh, Babette's Feast, 1988, big fan. Um, it's a Danish movie. And the um, what's, an, what's that about? If I could ask. Yeah, no, it's about a um, it's about a woman who uh, she's a shows up shows up on an island. She shows up in this community. Um, a stranger from the outside and she uh i mean she is she slowly gains the trust of the people in the community um and shares with them sort of the gift that she has to give um as this sort of enormous enormously charitable um act of service it's sort of like it's really kind of like a kind of a even a spiritual metaphor it works on a lot of levels it's anyway i was profoundly moved by it i really like that it's really pretty but um i also like night of the hunter uh mm. 1955 the charles lawton i haven't um, heard of that either it's real good dude i gotta lend you these swing by swing by my place and give you a stack yeah I, I, I love I, so is that a what kind of genre of film is that mm, yeah it's a it's a really it's a really um are these it's pretty gripping these, crime? These first well, ones you're mentioning are very cerebral. Are they pretty? I mean, I, I honestly, Babette's Feast is really emotional. Honestly, I okay. Um, yeah, no, it uh, hits me in the heart place. Um, but like the and Night of the Hunter is really like this. It's kind of this. Uh, I think really brilliant archetypal, um, good and evil battle between um, kind of old lady versus corrupt preacher and it's this or corrupt you know sort of supposed preacher um this battle for the souls of children between them anyway it's it's this uh yeah i think it's a masterpiece i'm a big fan um and then uh also really like um let's see there's some other ones that i'm dude like me some so I married an axe murderer. This is that's one of my. I feel like speaks that's a Durden classic. Oh, of course it is. I I can't. It's true. I can't go too long without quoting. I do. Mike that, Myers was like really formative for me actually because I'm a big Wayne's World fan and you know I uh, like every basic little kid rope loving Austin Powers too. Right. But I do I do still think they're an impressive piece of work. Anyway, I like I like but, Mike with uh. So I married an axe murderer. That came before Austin Powers, right? Yes. And did it come before Wayne's World? Um. Yeah. No. Or well, maybe not, because Wayne's World was yeah, so SNL like, and right. Like the and now I'm trying to get the so yeah. So Mike came on the scene, you know, on SNL, and he came up with uh, and he came up with the sketch for Wayne's World on SNL. Okay. Um. And then. Uh, but yeah, not super long after, I want to say, sorry, my next year was 94. That is a clever idea for a film though. So I married an axe murderer. <laughs> right. I mean, like a comedic, <laughs> it's, but it's, still kind of scary. Right? Yeah. I do. And I, I love that. I love that premise. And I also love, I always love the marriage of, uh, sort of the, not to say that you would call this a comedy horror. It's, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't try, it doesn't. <laughs> Uh, hold as honestly to the to the horror element of it, but I love but I love the marriage of those of those genres. Yeah, and you kind of. want to do that, right? With sure, the one the one we're going out with is kind of like a, I wouldn't go as far to say horror. It's not it's not quite doesn't go it's not quite as heavy as that. But it's uh, like in the same way that Game Night has like you know 
some adventure elements to it. It's got this has some this one has some creepiness and um, hopefully some thrilling. Yeah, no, it's stuff stuff builds, gets spooky, gets frightening. Uh, worry about our heroes. Um, but yeah, it's uh, is that a difficult to do to have those two seemingly different emotions? You know, fear and then laughter in one movie because I know that they're like I'm thinking of I think in signs it was done well um, because it's there are moments where it's really scary but then there are moments where you're laughing right and I feel like it gives you it makes the funny moments if done right like the funny moments funnier and the scary moments scarier yeah does that make sense oh for sure it does um yeah um I imagine, do you have a hard time bringing those emotions together in your life, Kevin? See, it's just part of the do. fabric of, of living. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I guess, no, you're right. It's like in a moment of, of humor, it's, you're not usually afraid, it's true in life. Um, but yeah, no, it's true, because we do want actually the, um, this is a thing, this is a, an argument I always have with my sweet, sweet mother, um, who's the greatest, um, but she she is not a fan of an ending, Um that isn't rainbows and butterflies or, or, or in general of a movie that isn't as she mm. conflict gives her a lot of anxiety. Poor thing. I'm like, but mom, that's, you know, that's what drama is, right? Like, you know, that's what a story is. Right. And she's like, yet the world is too, it's too sad. And I'm like, I, I get it. Mom. Okay. That makes sense. And it's true. Mom has been through a lot. She's a saint, you know, she's earned the right to say that. But, um, <laughs> but also, uh, the, the real catharsis of, um, you know, purging all of the darkness uh of human conflict and of um and of the struggle um the human struggle um those that suffering that suffering is um is really only felt through contrast right and so um we do need you need you know moments of levity and stability to uh to be able to balance um you know the darkness and the because i do think i do think it's sort of you know you know, it, it represents a nice, you know, metaphorical kind of mirror for for the human experience. Yeah. Well, I I had this thought, and I would like to hear what you think on it. I've had the impression that American movies... I disagree. <laughs> they almost, they almost invariably end with a happy ending. Sure. Whereas it seems that some of the European films that I've seen, they're unafraid to end them sad. Um, now, not all American films, but it seems like many of the prominent ones make sure to end with everyone happy, everything's set right. But in Europe, it doesn't seem to be that way. It seems like their their movies can get more grim than American movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, independent film too, right? Um, goes in that way too. Um, yeah. Traditional Hollywood, um, is usually a little too timid. Um, unless you've got a vehicle in the hands of some great auteur, um, you know, and, uh, and in that case, Hollywood will say, okay, go ahead. Um, Mr. Fincher or Mr. Mm-hmm. Aronofsky or Scorsese or whatever. Um, it's like, you know, some <laughs> select geniuses who can, who can, uh, get as get as sad and depressing as they want um but uh but yeah as a rule we uh i mean 
Hollywood wants, you know, four quadrant appeal. You know, they want. What um, does that mean? They want. Uh, it means they want to appeal to as wide a demographic as as they can. Um, so you know, just just trying to do math and trying to keep. It's like okay, cool. It's like well, we don't want to be too. Want to be too offensive. We don't want to be too. We want to be too bold and this choice or that choice let's sand off those edges let's uh let's bring this to a high polish and so that's why you know people say that um hollywood like here marvel uh marvel movies are really fun i have a good time watching them really fun some that i really really like um they're also usually quite safe Mm -hmm. um and and the thing, and look, honestly, independent films shouldn't be making Marvel movies because you know who can do it better? Hollywood. Hollywood, Hollywood can do spectacle like because nobody. Because of the money. Well, for sure. I mean, these are big. These are big operations, right? And so, like, um, I don't. You know, I want to see Hollywood give me um, some engaging spectacle. Please do. It's like I love. This is this is the stuff we fall in love uh, uh, with movies. You know, growing up, that's it's that kind of thing. But um, but also. Uh, independent film i mean there's the generation of of challenging original um messy stuff but that feels more personal um that feels more there's something sometimes that feels a little bit too polished or a little bit too safe um too um yeah uh too careful about about mainstream Hollywood uh, productions, but uh, but in like independent film and in Europe, because I mean, look, Europe, <laughs> I mean, where you are in Europe, they will subsidize your film. It's like filmmakers can, like government will. It's like here's 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 money for your for your movie. And it's like go tell go tell your work of art. They, they also have there's there's a cultural um, tolerance for artistic liberty over there in a way that does feel like it's not quite as steeped um, in the you know cultural Americana, but. Right. Um, but yeah, so uh, I love, and so that's that's why indie. You'll see plenty of indie garbage, because it's a lot of people being real messy and personal and swinging wide. Um, but that's also the stuff, the stuff that like changes me, the stuff that like changes my heart and my thinking, um, and like confronts my preconceived notions about this and that. And, and you mentioned uh, Martin Scorsese as a how do you pronounce that? Auteur. Auteur. Yeah. A French term. word. Where they have complete control, right? Like they have their own vision. Yeah, like auteur theory in like film theory is all about like how is is the theory of like, you know, the great central animating genius, you know, behind a work. Um, So Hayao Miyazaki of Studio Ghibli would be an auteur. For sure. Definite auteur. Like, um... Uh, yeah. And so there's there's people who push back on that and will say like, um, it's like, that's absurd. Um... It takes a lot of geniuses to make something brilliant. There's a lot of really skilled craftsmen who come together to make a feature film. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's like you can make all sorts of. There's all sorts of media, uh, you know, media or mediums. I think they can both be plural. Anyway, um, that uh, where an artist can be a singular visionary, um, but in film, that's a collaborative art form. One of the most collaborative, uh, most popular collaborative art forms. So. Um, so some people consider it dismissive. Um, the auteur theory could be considered overly dismissive. I know that, uh, so Martin Scorsese says he would be considered one, right? For sure. Yeah. So he recently, I don't know if you read or you heard about him writing a critical piece about <laughs> Marvel, Marvel movies. Right. Right. What do you think about that? Um, I think 
Mr. Scorsese uh, has has made enough uh, <laughs> works of uh, genius uh, that he doesn't need my opinion on his <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. but no but uh, no but i definitely of course i have one kevin did, did of course you, i have one but like did you agree with him though um so points? what i do remember was funny and he wrote he he then came back with like a lengthier more thoughtful response but his initial his initial response in that i think in that interview was something he actually admitted to having not really seen seen one <laughs> like he oh, said that okay. he like started one once and then he was like it, those aren't movies and i was like oh that's sweet well i mean like because and that's cool it's like let him you know continue believing whatever you want to believe and keep making um so he had his brilliant he stuff seen but, them before right it's that's, like he he confessed to that and i was like well that's interesting and that then, kind of reminds me of uh when kanye west was upset that beck won a grammy and he was like, this is ridiculous. Beck shouldn't win. It should go to a Beyonce or whatever. Right, right. And later in an interview, he said he was having dinner with his wife um, at a public restaurant. And the song came on and he's like, oh, who is this? I really like this song. And it turned out to be Beck's new music. <laughs> and he's like, he had never listened to it before. Yeah. But he had already that idea of it there. And I wonder, yeah. too, I wonder if... Martin Scorsese was kind of in that same area. <laughs> right. It seems like a, there was a, uh, one Marvel filmmaker, gosh, I don't remember which one, um, tweeted something shortly after uh, Scorsese's you know, comments went viral saying, um, and I think he made a fair point um, when he said, he's like, you know, I remember people unfairly uh, criticizing or refusing to go see boycotting Last Temptation of Christ when Scorsese made that and that came out. Um, without having seen it. And, uh, and, and this filmmaker was saying, he's like, you know, I think that's, it's like, I would hope that we would, um, uh, you know, uh, be willing to watch each other's work before we pass judgment on it. Anyway, it was, so it was, which I think is a fair point, you know, from someone who, yeah. because look, there's a lot, people who make Marvel movies aren't all heartless shills. Like, it's like, um, you know, it's very easy to imagine studio execs as the heartless shills. But the fact is, these things are written by people who really care and want to say something meaningful. Like, um, and, uh, and, and honestly, there's several Marvel movies that have like spoken, that have touched me that have, I think said really, um, really cool things or have just delighted me, made me laugh a lot. And, but, um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I think, yeah, Marty has earned the right to say whatever he wants right. and, and I do kind of, but I definitely see the, the point of this, of that, uh, the opposition from, from that Marvel filmmaker. Are there, um, film critics? Cause you also... And I'd like to read uh, more of them. You've sent me one uh, film review that you've written on it, too. Well, well yeah, because I heard... Well, I only... Yeah, I had to text it to you after I heard you talk about it. Yeah, because I'm not a fan of it, On the too. podcast. I but like, I have zero, really, like, credibility in critiquing movies. You but have all the credibility. Except for the feeling of, like, man, this was really long. <laughs> like, three hours... Sure. An hour and a half too long. Well, yeah, and like, well, I mean, was it who was it? it? Was Roger Ebert who said like, no good movie is ever too long, and no bad movie is ever short enough? What, oh. what does he say? Is that what, is that the quote? Um, which is the fact is because it felt long, something something's probably going wrong. Um, something that feels that long, it's it's probably not just the runtime. It's like other things are being fumbled, presumably. Mm -hmm. I was a big fan of the first one. I was, um, and I think there's some there's some beautiful stuff um, uh, in the second one. That I think it's a little lost, but um, but yeah, I uh, I'm a fan of those sorts of movies. So, and I'm a big I horror, do, and I do yeah, I do really like horror. So, um, 
yeah, so I was I was really champion of the bit for chapter two. Um, but hey, I think chapter one is still I think the first one really great. I really yeah. still really enjoy it. It was good. Um, the um, the other thing I was going to ask you is, are there what's your opinion on music on movie reviewers? Um, whether it's who was the guy before Roger and Ebert? Oh, the Siskel? Roger Ebert. Oh, oh yeah, no, Siskel and Ebert, Ebert yeah. and and those those kind of big names, and then you know, like I think Rolling Stones and or yeah, lots of big yeah for sure. Everyone, every big publications they got they got their they, got they have their, their movie yeah, people for sure. Um, do you? What's your process when you watch a movie? Do you, will you read a review before you watch it? Not usually. I usually um. Yeah, I think I've, uh, it's probably changed over the years, but nowadays I, I, I usually like to steer clear, then watch, and then um, sometimes I'll just jot down notes after. I mean, not that anybody, I, I'm not some official review. I just write my own But I think that'd be great practice, for me. Like, just great writing practice, and just... Well, I just like, it's everyone's got the junk they like to throw their life away into, and like, I, you know, it's like, I just like movies too much, and so I like, um, I have fun thinking of thinking about it after or like you know doing some writing it's like oh look i think you know 99 percent of people are content enjoying connecting with a movie enjoying it or not enjoying it and i uh, when i when i connect or i don't connect right i'm having a good time or i'm not i just like to think about why i don't know i just like to i like to deconstruct oh, after that and just either consider. way well right and i'll be like okay what what was it what was it that um prevented me from uh from investing or you know uh so i, I find that interesting but it's really just yeah just like, because I, I think I learned stuff too since I try and, since I, um, you know, write junk as well. It's ends up being instructive. What that, bad ones are the good ones. Movies that you, that haven't resonated with you. And if you could explain, maybe if you found why. Just any movie that hasn't resonated, something like lately or whatever, like. Yeah, or something that comes to mind. Um, movies that haven't resonated with me. Uh, psh, let's see, lately. I watch. It's like I was like, oh, let me open up my letterbox stamp. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a cool nifty thing you I was showed like, me. That way I can just see what have I watched lately. Um, I uh, let's see. I actually, you know what? And so this isn't fair just because it happens to be one of the last few things I watched because um, I think the Lovebirds is actually um, pretty smart and, and fun. Um, it's the one that came out on Netflix recently. Um, with Kumail Nanjiani and <coughs> excuse me. Um, and uh, Issa Rae, but uh, this one, uh, again, I think actually, you know, it's smart, um, it's cleverly written, um, some truly funny moments. Um, I did want to be surprised more, though, like in a macro sense, um, I I don't want to know, and while I get it, there's a lot of built-in expectations with the genre in general, I still, by the end of the first act, if I feel, if I've already got a sense for all of the emotional undulations of of the beats to come and and the character arcs, then then I'll be a little disappointed. And and that and that felt a tiny bit the case here. But um, let's see. I don't know what was what was something that I watched. Else, uh, like people care about this, Kevin. Come on, they um, care. They the, care. I care. <laughs> the, and if no one cares, I care. Dude, I rewatched The Happening recently. That is. Interesting. It's, it's, it's the it's the Shyamalan one with um 
Mark Wahlberg and oh uh, yeah, like things are falling out. Yeah, of the Zoe sky. Deschanel and stuff. Right where it's yeah, the environment's yeah. turned against you. So but, um, that got pretty terrible reviews, if I remember. It did and I actually remember thinking because last time I saw it was in theaters, you know, a long time, uh, you know, two thousand eight. So um, and I remember thinking in the time since I'm like it's not as bad as I remember. <laughs> and oh, going back to it, turns out we. Uh, a lot of self-deception occurs over time, apparently. Because, yeah, no, I, it, was, it was so tough. I remember thinking, I remember being kind of stunned. I know we talked about, you talked about science for a second. Um, six, the Sixth Sense is maybe a perfect movie. It's it's a stunning piece of work. I always have been... Traumatized obs- me as a kid. Right? That's how effective it is. It's good mm-hmm. stuff. It's a brilliant piece of work. Do you realize Bruce Willis wasn't even dead until the sixth draft? Can you believe that? Isn't that crazy? Um, really? I know. This, the importance of writing subsequent drafts. That's the thing. He didn't. He didn't find that till six drafts in. You're like, wow. So, what was he thinking? It was it well, because like just... if you think, well, this is the important thing to remember. Because he, you know, with that movie, he becomes the man of the twist, right? Like Shyamalan is the guy. Uh, he's there's like a whole. There's even a whole like a robot chicken. Like yeah, there's like a series of sketches where it's like Shyamalan. I think we're like a little robot chicken Shyamalan is like, what a twist. <laughs> like I think <laughs> Seth Green has a, and like, you know, he just becomes known for that. And what's funny is like, he didn't find the twist, like the the fundamental twist that then kind of created um, the dude's kind of signature um, having such, you know, an explosive twist. Um, uh, he didn't find that for uh, for so long. But, but, but the important thing to remember about any twist is that twists don't work um, because they're unexpected. A twist... Uh, it only works if the rest of the movie works, right? So um, he was writing. If that twist hadn't happened, that movie would still be excellent. It'd still be like a you know a moving and thought provoking and and spooky uh, little character trauma. Like really, I think yeah. it would still be lovely. But um, you're right. But man, finding finding because the key there, you know, is somebody wise once said, uh, you know, two things. Two things you got to make sure you try and do when you write when you're writing a movie. Um, Give me a central, give me a relationship to care about. Um, some people say, it's like, oh, give me a person to care about. Um, Lindsay Durant, you know, she likes to say, no, no, give me a relationship to care about. And and I think that's smart. Um, but also, and then the other thing is, don't neglect to explore your premise to its furthest logical conclusion. Like, take it to the, think, think about something like Inception, right? That goes... Um, and there's criticisms that could be leveled at exception, some expository criticisms maybe, right? It's still a super fun ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> it is talk about a movie that explores to a maddening extent, to a, to a potentially um, hazardous extent, the, you know, the, the furthest extents of its universe. Like you go down into limbos beyond le- limbos, beyond levels. And it's... Um, and it's crazy. Just when you think we can't go deeper, we do. Um, and we dig that. And we like, because it feels like you have, you know, Magellaned out all of the corners of your globe, of the world that you've constructed. I like that phrase, Magellaned you, out. Oh my gosh, we just TM'd Did another one. Did you just one. come this up with great. that? Dude, oh, I feel so smart right now. <laughs> For real, that's good. <laughs> no, but like I, um, and so that's important because we want to feel, you want to feel like you explore a premise um, otherwise, why create a world um, if you don't give us, uh, if you don't walk us through the most compelling aspects of the world? I mean, you want to, it's like, come up with something, uh, a place and a time and a, and, a, and a context where we deserve to be there. Um, and, uh, but uh, Sixth Sense, it's interesting because like the reason that twist also works so well, aside from the fact that 
the movie works well. Um, the twist takes it to the next level because the twist explores that last bit of space um, inside the unique mechanics and internal logic that he'd set up um, throughout. Like, it's still, it feels so right that, like, he's been breadcrumbing us the whole time. That this kid, spoilers, this kid sees dead people. He sees dead people. And then brilliantly, probably realized, because I'm sure he had Bruce Willis talking to people in previous drafts, and he's like, oh my gosh, I could just have him sit here, and they could not talk. I could just have him, oh my gosh, I could make it seem as if he's interacting. And I was like, and at that point, and the reason it works so well is because it actually, because uh, it takes us as far through the premise as we want to go. Um, anyway. So and that was his debut film, am I right? wasn't his debut, but it was his breakout. He wrote, he wrote and directed Wide Awake um, before that, which is like a little, it's a movie about a little like Catholic kid like <laughs> reflecting on like religion and, um, and the purpose of life with like Rosie O'Donnell. And it's really? like, there's no like, it, it thriller, feels, which feels very different from, um, but like, and I'm actually a fan of it. It's like a little, it's a little indulgent, but dude, wide awake. I'm a fan. I, I get a, I had to get like an import copy and like watch it on my laptop. His but. others are, I think it's been kind of hard for him to match the, I don't know, the, the praise and acclaim. He, you know, there were some big shoes. Sense. Some big shoes for him to fill, right? And I mean, yeah. I loved, I loved honestly the next couple. I loved Unbreakable. I was a really big fan, and I also uh, really liked Signs. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, it's true. It's an interesting question. And 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 hey, recently uh, Split, you know, found some great success, and I think Split's pretty pretty darn cool. I think it's pretty like a really fun time. Was that M Night Shyamalan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was pretty good. Right, right. He um yeah he came back with like The Visit, and then he did um, Split, and um. He had a little less uh, less favorable critical reception with Glass most recently, where he was capping off his um, his trilogy there. His quasi. oh, Mr. Glass, yeah, with, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, Glass was like the quasi finale of like the sort of secret trilogy of Unbreakable, um, Split, and Glass. But but yeah, um, anyway, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating. Like honestly, I have this. I wonder about this all the time. I wonder about whether. You know, sometimes, you know, when my friends talk, you know, we talk about like, it's like, is it is it the Lucas question? Is it the Lucas problem? And I think, and look, and there's a lot of, I think, good arguments. What's argue- the Lucas problem? Um, the, uh, the idea of, oh, speaking of auteurs, the idea of so reinforcing the mythos of the auteur um, that once you've done something brilliant, you're a genius. Therefore, everything else a genius does is what? Well, it's genius. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's what it, um, Ed Catmull was talking about this after um, Toy Story. He talked about uh, what it, that it actually became a problem, how successful Toy Story was. It became a problem at Pixar um, for, for a while uh, because suddenly everybody involved was a genius. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which, um, and, and they had to get into a headspace where, uh, because like the most important, the most important thing in creation, you know, in trying to, in trying to create anything, um, the most vital thing is a, is a, is a space to be wrong. <laughs> like you need, you need to be able to be wrong. Um, and, uh, and nothing, nothing stands in the way of that, like an ego. Um, so you need to be able to, you need to make good peace with a lot of failure, um, and being a lot wrong. Um, if you ever want to find something right. Uh, so, uh, 
you know, if you're too timid to venture out into the creative world of possibility, um, then yeah, you'll never find that genius because you had to be an idiot for a very long time. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, sorry, I lost the thread. Oh no, that's fine. (laughs) So, um, in terms of somebody going like with uh, M Night Shyamalan, oh, the, the fu- Lucas thing. The, I forgot. Right. I'm sorry. I, the 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 question is like, okay, yes, Lucas, homeboy, you know, creates the greatest, um, you know, trilogy, you know, the greatest like, you know, film franchise in history. Um, You're talking about George Lucas, right? No, no, no. I'm talking about Terry Lucas. He made he made a few. Uh, just kidding. No, I'm sorry. I was, For a second, I was, I was like, gonna. I was hoping. I was like, maybe I can come up with something funny. Who is this I'm like, Terry nope, Lucas? nope. Um, that's, this is I'm already crashing and burning before I even start my joke. Um, what is this trilogy classic by me. Terry Lucas? <laughs> it was. You know what I always think of when I think of this? I think of. Uh, do you watch Thirty Rock? Yeah. I, so I'm kind of obsessed with Dirty Rock. I, okay, I, I may not get this reference. I've though. watched it too many times. Um, anyway, Tina Fey's a hero. I love that. I freaking love that show. But um, great <laughs> writing in that show. Great right. characters. It's so true. Um, there's this whole there's this whole little bit. Um, <laughs> where Jenna uh, is starring in a um, in a film based on a Kevin Grisham novel. Um, like, I think like John Grisham's brother or something, right? Right. So it's a Kevin Grisham novel, um, named The Rural Juror. <laughs> so the rural juror, right? And so the, 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 the ongoing joke is that nobody can understand the name of the movie she's in. She mm-hmm. keeps saying it nobody. Anyway, that's a, that's a, that's a little sidebar literally just was, for me. I think that's but, pretty good. Um, I, anyway, so I think of that, but, um, so Terry Lucas, um, uh, the uh, the creator of Star Wars, um, he uh, when you're that brilliant, you made Star Wars. Um, suddenly, do you does that set you up to make the prequels? Is that what sets him up to make an episode one, two, and three that um, that to some people and not to everybody, but that to some people feel inferior, right? And some people, you know, vastly inferior. But um, yeah. and I've still got a lot of great nostalgia with those and stuff. But um, so yeah, definitely not a hater there, but. But it, um, but yeah, and it's true. Lucas only like directed, you know, um, like that first one, but the first, uh, uh, I mean, A New Hope, right? But, mm-hmm. um, but still, uh, writing credits on others, and um, yeah. So this is the. Can you get so far up your own butt, um, and enjoy smelling your farts uh, so much that you're convinced they no longer stink, right? Um, and and are you when you when you're as big as Lucas is by the time you enter the '90s, like in Mythos, because you know he's also involved in Indiana Jones, you know, and that's right, um, and you know other huge iconic things. Um, who's the guy who steps up to Lucas and says, "Hey, I have some notes on 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 your latest draft of of uh, Episode One. Uh, I just thought maybe like who who's doing? I'm sure I know, I'm sure people did that." But 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 who's doing that? Yeah, and so like <laughs> like and who's, who's gonna and that? who's gonna raise their voice when they do it? Like if you're like I think, you know I think we could revisit the part where this is like all about international trade disputes, um, inter international sorry intergalactic trade disputes, and maybe we maybe we dial in. So yeah, I don't know. Um, I was at the, I ran into this idiot Andrew Isaac at the gas station. At a gas station in Pocatello, when 
when he discovered what corn nuts were. No, oh, wait, no, you just <laughs> discovered what they were, right? Yeah. What do you mean? So he found out. How old, so he's like, how old were you? No, here, get this, get this. He, You're no, a grown man. No, hang on. He was older than that because that was on our way to, I think, the reunion. Um, so this guy, so we pull up randomly. Chelsea and I pull off at this guy to get gas at the station in, I think it was Pocatello, right? Um, and uh, we walk into the gas station and there's Isaac at the convenience store. And I'm like, Andrew? He's like, dude. And we were talking and, and he had, he has some corn nuts in his hand. He's like, Jake, have you heard of corn nuts? <laughs> and I said, and I said, <laughs> and I, dude, you can sit on the couch, dude. Yeah, man. Yeah. And the funny thing, too, um, about this is that, so... first off, they're everywhere. They have but, been everywhere. But, for, but, for so and, long. And, and so there's life. not just one flavor. There's, no. like, seven. No. He's like, <laughs> you have the regular, the ranch, the barbecue. Yeah, so this is the first time I've seen Andrew in, like, years, and he's introducing corn nuts to me. <laughs> um, and he's like, and he's like uh, did you know they're vegan? And I'm like... Well, I assume so, Andrew. They're, they're corn nuts. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, you finally get a snack. And yeah, it was, and so what was funny is like Chelsea and I, we, so we were both like laughing about this, right? And he's just like, cause he's so enthusiastic about them. And we, and we go out, and so we pull back onto the road, and, you know, I think he, he gets on, he's, he's on the on-ramp before us, and, we're, and like, like 10 miles down the road, we realize that he's, like, in front of us, and I look up, and I see this, and I see the silhouette of him going like this, like, emptying the bag, like, I see his head tilt back, and the bag, like, shaking the bag empty into his mouth, and, and we just, and we're just laughing at his enthusiasm for the thing that he just found out existed, like, a couple weeks Dude, earlier. that reminds me the way that you were, like, he was dumping that above his head into yeah. his mouth. I was coming back from an airport. I had gotten on a bus, like, uh, just a bus driver guy who, like, transported people. You know how buses work. And, um, <laughs> no, no, no. Introduce buses to me. And so, and so, so it was in the winter. But bigger, it was, right? It was in the winter in Idaho. The roads were really bad. This guy was speeding. And you know the night bus in Harry Potter? Of course. It just goes all over the place. It's bonkers. It's crazy. It was like I was on the night bus. And it was just icy roads. And he had a bag of chips that he had finished, but he was dumping them while driving <laughs> on, on icy the icy roads. road, going fast and dumping them over his head. And I remember just being like, "I like, if this is how I go, this is how I go." <laughs> I guess in a way, I feel like maybe I would probably trust that guy dumping chips into his mouth on an icy road, like really, <laughs> like on little sleep over like me on a clear day like <laughs> clear summer's day like with no other inhibitions because that guy's whole his whole life is dry like that guy drives i have a feeling somehow that he is always in control even when he seems not in control <laughs> i mean i believe too much in his abilities probably but like I that's probably true he could be either that's partly true he could be extremely calm because he's in control or he just doesn't care he, <laughs> really? he, he that's a good point, man. He could have he could have just like he could have just found his wife cheating. And like this is and like you are the happy passenger on that van, like the first the first shift 
that he had after he walked in on on like on Terry Lucas and uh, you know that's right uh, George's brother notoriously sleeps around and then um, and, and his wife so um, yeah that you're right he could have been going off the rails and you could have uh, gone off with him. oh man that that reminds me which this does, will does lead, that remind you this will lead uh, to a question oh for you. segue man over here look at this. on that bus right. I was given a call from a person because I had applied for an internship at this magazine company. And they said, you are accepted to be an intern, but it's going to be 40 hours. You're not going to get paid. And you have to drive, you know, from Rexburg to Idle Falls, 35 minutes or whatever. And we're not going to reimburse you for gas. And I just said, yeah, that sounds great. And I never showed up. And, <laughs> and so baller. And I just I love that. And I was just wondering if like, it seems like in the movie industry, in the film world, it seems like there's a lot of people who kind of get taken advantage of. Maybe like, because they're going there to try to... Um, get like i don't know to get a break but there's going to be people that are above them i mean the extreme cases like a, a harvey weinstein these, right the right. casting couch kind of characters. sure i mean like you know straight up abuse and assault and yeah like that's obviously a thing that you know happens and has happened and yeah hopefully addressing that now but uh but yeah you mean are you you're like talking about like other like professional abuses as well like yeah like um uh, maybe taking advantage of interns if you get an internship with a big company <laughs> yeah that that you're right no that's totally a thing um and it's actually something they've been trying to uh one of the script uh script notes is a is like my favorite sort of industry podcast it's john august and craig mazin screenwriters talking about craig mazin did a uh, chernobyl um oh wow and john august has done a bunch of stuff he wrote like including big fish and anyway they've been uh yeah they've been like spearheading a movement recently to actually try and um get uh uh get assistance and um uh workers kind of on the lower rungs of the industry um fair compensation and stuff because yeah you're right lots of abuse because they're expected to you know work you know obscene hours you know for mm -hmm. you know it's like oh you work you know 12 15 hour days and and you do it for virtually no money um and it's terrible yep so you're right there's plenty of that and that happens i guess in all sorts of like you know in writers i guess the writer stuff is the stuff i hear about more but like um just because of the people i talk to but like um you know there's always uh you tr you know, producer trying to get you to write a free draft. You know, it's like there's 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 always there's concerns, oh. I guess, in the WGA to try and get. Um, so, like, while you're, you know, ideally you're being compensated for you know for writing a draft of a script, and um, even when you're commissioned to do it. But but the reality is, if you're a new writer and you're starting out, you you want to be a pleaser. You want to make people happy, and you want to mm -hmm. deliver your best work. And so, when your manager says, uh, "Oh, let's do another, let's do another pass, let's do another couple drafts," and so. When you're paid to hand in a first draft, you're probably handing in, especially if you're a new writer, you know, a second, third, or maybe fourth draft. Um, you know, it's like, oh, we do a producer pass, and we do a manager pass, and so there's concerns about um, uh, that there that writers are worried about. But you know. is is there any regular path for a screenwriter? I mean, kind of, uh, you go to this school, 
you then go here it seems like there's they come from all around back different backgrounds well if you if you can get an in with terry lucas um no <laughs> i i uh terry. yeah for sure i mean ter- terry's got all the connections so um, terry lucas the, uh yeah but you know um bless his heart um there yeah there's there's no there's no conventional path like that's what everybody you know and the famous William Goldman quotes like nobody knows anything um Who's, and that applies who, is that William Goldman's like uh he's like the Spielberg of like screenwriters in that he's like your go-to you know like the he's like the great he's the great father screenwriter in a way he like oh. so he wrote like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid he wrote um, Maverick, another movie that I love. He Why wrote am I thinking he Princess did... Bride? He wrote Princess okay, Bride, and okay. um, he also right. wrote the novel, and then he adapted his own novel. Oh. Um, and anyway, but he's been so he's just you know he's so he's a legend, right? He's like a supreme legend. He's the most legendary, probably, uh, screenwriter. But yeah, so he was like nobody knows anything, um, and uh, and that and that that applies to entryway entryways into the industry. I mean, the fact is, it's. Um, you just try any and everything. Hopefully, hopefully you can. You just keep. Yep, including that, George. Including that. I saw that gesture. Um, he has everything, anything, and anything you can try. I, honestly, the only ru- the only rule is um, be uh, stupidly gluttonous for punishment, and and just keep persisting. But also don't. If you can do anything else, do literally anything else. Um, then, but but if you hate yourself and need more venues for self-loathing, but, um, yeah, it also seems like with Terry, like Terry Lucas's brother uh, George, <laughs> right, right. Um, he didn't go the conventional path, you know, did he? I mean, like he went an independent route um like for so yeah like i mean he but he also comes up he comes up with sort of like the uh you know he comes up with some of the uh so in the 70s uh some of the you know the, the filmmakers who would define you know filmmaking for the next several decades who are still doing it um uh come up in the 70s as these you know energetic auteurs right um you know and 70s is actually often credited uh, a lot of a lot of film folks say the '70s was the best decade of uh, film, the 1970s. Um, but uh, yeah, so he comes up with you know, and they, he goes to film school, and he and he comes up with Spielberg, and um, and they're like helping each other, and they're making their things, and you know, Lucas makes THX 1138. So they were friends, Spielberg and yes. Lucas, mm-hmm, for sure, right? They and, were like, younger. And, so, and they collaborated on fun stuff like the Indiana Jones, you know, and those things, and um, you know, Lucas like his you know story by credits there, and. Um, and uh, Spielberg directed those, and so yeah, they've they've always been buddies, buddies. Um, did so I no, so no conventional path basically? I mean, yeah, when man. it comes to the film world, yeah, just be just be stupid and keep banging your head against it. Um, and um, yeah, back to the Dharma. I'm a big believer in the Dharma. Um, that Eastern religious thing that I keep talking. About, I, yeah, what is what does that mean? Oh, it's like just this. It just, it was, it proved way too formative um, when I got exposed to the idea. Haven't you had enough, George? Good heavens. As um, loud as possible. Seriously. <laughs> this be like, no other options. be like Andrew is all like, you know, he's docile. You know, he's, he's chilling over there being a proper listener. 
This, this guy. I'm, I'm he's, thirsty. He's asleep. I'm thirsty. We've made a bigger deal out of it than because I like to. It's fun. You got to keep it. Keep it energetic, man. He's asleep, but but so he doesn't know when I say like, oh my gosh, he's asleep. But why? Whoa, is he taking his pants off while he's asleep? Is he? He is indeed. What is he whispering? Is he saying, George? I think he's asking you to come. I'm sorry, you cut that out. But the um, the uh, (laughs) definitely, definitely not. Um, the uh, crap. What was I saying? Mm. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep, uh, just keep being stupid. Uh, the Dharma thing. The Dharma thing. That was just, yeah, that idea is just that, um, what's this, uh, Eastern, like, uh, philosophical, uh, religious Hindu. principle of, right, right. That, uh, I believe so. It's like, ugh, I'm ignorant as to its origins, probably, in the sense that, like, I actually got the book, um, and, uh, and was, and got, got this piece of it extracted by a friend who's like, oh, you should check this out. I'm like, cool, let me read this. But, um, but anyway, the underpinnings are like, uh, the idea is everybody has a life calling. Um, and, uh, most of us spend a good deal of our time talking ourselves out of our life calling and, um, adopting these, I guess, as Stephen Pressfield would say, like shadow versions of our, uh, of our life calling or, or, uh, distracting ourselves from it because it's scary. Trying is scary. Stuff like is hard. The shadows would be substitutions of. They'd be yeah, like substitutions or um, or like adjacent things. You know, things we convince ourselves are good enough, or mm. um, but that it, but that aren't really pursuing the thing that that you're calling with. So the you know that dharma idea is like, hey, the steps include identify it. You know, first be able to identify what it is for you. Um, second step is commit fully. You know, do it all out. And the third step is the one I find like most um, intriguing and uh, I don't know, uh, philosophically satisfying. It's the let go of the outcome. I like that. Um, That is success in the eyes of the world are not your concern. Your concern is doing it, doing your Dharma, right? And so if I feel fulfilled and I do, you know, writing stuff, and I'm operating under no delusions that the world, the world needs my stories. Um, I I do it just because I need, like I need to do it. I do it because I need to do it. Um, because I'm broken in that way. But, um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think I think it strikes me as just healthy and wise to to adopt an attitude of of being unable to control the outcome, um, and therefore not concerning yourself with it. It's like trying to control the weather. Um, has nothing to do with you. Um, what has to do with you is doing work. And have you felt this um, attraction to movies and film since you were a child? Yeah, yeah, I've loved, uh, yeah, I've kind of uh, always been known as that really, the movie really guy. difficult, antisocial, unlikable, and pretentious movie no i've always <laughs> i've always go- like keep going i always like movies too much um and uh i uh but i also writing was the thing that i always started doing first too is a I, that's 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 where i always like to waste my time is i was uh i would write like little stories <laughs> george i would write these little uh st- i write little stories on my little macintosh plus downstairs like little poems and stories on my little 
little clickety clack keyboard. You know, those clicky clack ones, the keys that are really loud. That's okay. That's what I do. You don't have to make it sound um, weak. There's a lot. Think about ho- <laughs> think about Homer. Make it sound Virgil, weak. right? Shakespeare, right? Um, so like, I that's what I since I was like eight. You know, I, like I loved, I loved, I've always loved writing, um, and I've always loved movies. Um, so I guess it, you know makes sense that that I would uh, try and throw my life away in this in this particular manner. And they do combine very well together, as you mentioned earlier. Movies and books do seem to have like a yeah yeah that's kinship those are my yep that's that's why i ended up not i'm not creative enough to to study anything you know in school beyond what i just like to do and so then i so i just like oh double major in film and english that's a solid double major well it's well it's certainly solid for those um seeking not to have a future certainly yeah, well, no, no, i mean no they're they're not I mean, easy majors. it's like think about it it's like you know you know <laughs> i figured you know it's like zero plus zero futures <laughs> equals it turns out it, it's not a positive number still but um no but it's good i the english thing also helped me just like do uh since then i just do uh i'm a te- you know i do tech writing like that's what i've been doing as a nine to five since i graduated which has been great just doing tech writing for like uh, tech companies and stuff and so that's and so it ends up being just the english degree believe it or not ends up being the fallback degree where i'm like cool i can do this get paid while i write my own stuff yeah. has that um improved your writing at all doing tech writing to creative writing yeah or- kind of um i mean to a to a point i mean in that uh you know some of the commonalities of all good writing are like you know uh precision and concision um mm-hmm. uh being you know precise concise evocative um and uh so there are there's certainly plenty of commonalities uh just across good writing whatever the venue but but, you know uh not quite as creatively fulfilling you know yeah right it's not a it's not a riveting job but it's but no but i got it's a great job now it's yeah so it's a good job i'm lucky to have it so your um last question your screenplay is already is still in the run so this yeah so it just went out uh this new one that we're uh shopping around it's getting sent out to some managers and some producers um and uh it that just happened on monday that just happened a week ago um like six days ago um i mean for anyone to read a screenplay uh in the industry it takes weeks but i mean so i mean i'll so you know um if i if i could just get some more meetings out of it that'd be great um but uh and you have a up. meeting or you did have a meeting so i had some meetings uh i got to go to la after you know the Nichols thing and um freddie got passed around to some people and so i got to go meet with some of those people i got to meet with some managers very uh, cool a few months ago and then uh and that was great uh before COVID happened and then um uh, and there's a few more people um, that uh, that I'm that I I'm supposed to meet with, uh, based on the Freddie Prince Jr. thing, who liked that, and then so we're also sending them this, and also sending this out to more people or uh, little production houses who might be interested. Man. Anyway, that's really exciting, genuinely. And so you're excited, we'll have, Kevin. Thank you. We'll have to do another podcast to follow up. Would you be down? For sure, for sure. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe this one, Isaac, will be able to uh, keep his pants on. Seriously, Isaac, there's there's people here. Could you... Never mind. Um, the, uh, 
I would love to, Kevin, literally any excuse in the world to talk to you again. You'll do it. I'll do it. I, I'll do anything for you.